I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Amen to that. Okay, uh, I had uh, a week or maybe two weeks ago, uh, somebody needed an operation in Pakistan. It was $256 to go into the hospital and have an operation. I mean, you, yeah. you can't get a Tylenol for that here. Um, uh, you sent the money for my husband, Gulab. He had successful surgery. He is now home. It was very difficult time for us, and I was very sad and began to cry to God in my prayers, and I shared my request with Brother Nazir. God has helped through you, meaning you at the church, which is a miracle. I am thankful to you for your help. It makes my faith stronger, even more to know that God has his own way of how he blesses his people. I'm very encouraged by faith to get his answer of the prayers. It is a result that Gulab is alive and has successful surgery. And her name is Moran, M-O-R-A-N. So she thanks all of you for helping her husband live. Um, and then uh, I just got a call from Hedico just a few minutes ago. Nick, my friend in uh, Wyoming, uh, called and he needs prayer for his daughter, Vicki. She's having her first baby and she's been in heavy labor for 30 hours. So uh, we want to have that lady in prayer because I can't imagine the stress on the human body like that. And, uh, you know, just the concern of the whole family, their first baby, and they're going through that. Um, it's, you know, Tangie went through her own thing and it was very stressful, but I can't imagine 30 hours of that. Uh, so we have uh, 20. Oh, you know what? Duh. Uh, today is uh, 29 February. Yes. It's my Coming wife's birthday. birthday. Yes. She's finally 18 years old, which means that I, after 39 years of marriage, have a legal aged wife. So I'm very relieved. I'm happy that uh, we were able to slide under the radar all that time. And now she's of legal age and the best birthday present ever. She is benign in her uh, after cancer check. So I, they... She's done, as far as I know. So I Praise thank Lord. everybody for the prayers and all, for everything everybody's done. Unbelievable. She is still sleeping more than I've ever seen her in uh, uh, 39 years. I've never seen her sleep so much, and she she's just exhausted. But she's A-OK. -okay. She gets up. She's fine. But uh, it's just taking her a while to get through that. So uh, there you go she with was that. She knife fight. Uh, she was, uh, yes. You know, I, I'm wondering if we're alive. So give me a second because uh, Sergio did not let, he's traveling. And so, uh, and that did not come on. So why don't um, I do it? Okay, well, if you want to do that, that's yeah, fine. I just need to make sure that we are actually live. Uh, so, uh, and uh, yes, we are. Okay, so we don't need to worry about that. And um, I was already just one button away. Okay, so let's see here. We have uh, today, as I just said, it, 29, 29 February. I bet you they don't have a 29 February in here. I'm going to bet you. I'm going to bet you. We're going to see. They got March 1st. Go back one day. Oh, they do. They have a 29 February in this book. Special for uh, on this day in 1948. Hedico Garrett. Uh, no. Um, uh, Hamilton, Wishart, and Knox form a chain of names that transformed Scotland. 
The first man, Patrick Hamilton, was born about 1504 to a wealthy family near Glasgow. His mother told him stories of the Bible and her lessons lived in his heart till the close of his life. His father, wanting a church career for Patrick, used his influence and money to secure his appointment to a church position when he was but 13. That was in 1517, the year that Luther made his protest. But Hamilton wanted nothing of church work and he fled to Sorbonne, the University of Paris, where he heard the sensational news of Luther's protestation. For an entire year, the Sorbonne studied little but Luther's writings. Hamilton graduated in 1520, returned to Scotland, and continued his studies in the University of St. Andrews, where, in time, he joined the faculty. The Scottish Parliament, meanwhile, condemned Lutherism and announced that anyone possessing Reformation books or views was in jeopardy. As it happened, Hamilton had adopted Reformation views. Archbishop David Beaton, rabid foe of Protestants, instantly sought his life. Uh, Hamilton fled the country, he traveled to Germany, and spent time with Luther and other Reformation leaders. His faith and courage deepened dramatically, and Hamilton determined to return to Scotland, heedless of danger, and preach salvation by grace through faith alone. <coughs> Great crowds flocked to hear him, and many were converted to Christ. Beaton promptly trapped and arrested him, tried him, and sentenced him to death. At high noon on February 29, 1528, Hamilton walked to the stake with a quick, firm step. He handed a friend his copy of the Gospels and gave his cap, gown, and upper garments to his servant. The executioner chained him to the post and attempted to set the wood afire. The flame didn't burn well, and Hamilton suffered for six long, torturous hours. Finally, when it appeared the fire was at last doing its work, he cried, How long, O God, shall darkness cover this kingdom? His words were not lost on young George Wishart. Ropes from the world of the dead had coiled around me, and death had set a trap in my path. I was in terrible trouble when I called out to you, but from your temple you heard me and answered me. Psalm 18, 5 through 7. Where is that kind of repeated? Jonah, book of Jonah. Very similar terminology there. Okay, so we have, um, uh, we've got the prayer request. Yeah, I think that's everything. What we need to do now is get into the Bible study. There so uh, let me close this and put that out of the way. What's that? Oh, we didn't pray. See, I knew there was something. I'm not firing on all pistons here. Uh, Heavenly Father, we are very grateful to you for all that you have done for us, and uh, we're thankful for the many blessings in this life. Uh, we certainly are grateful for the chance to pray for that uh, young lady, Vicki, who is going through labor right now and is having a very difficult time of it. And we would love to hear news that uh, the baby was born with ease within the next few minutes. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But we'll wait on your timing and just pray that you will sustain her, keep her healthy through this, and keep the baby from any disaster or trouble. Lord, we're very grateful to you for this class, for the chance to be able to get into your word and to share it with others. And uh, we just pray that if anything is said that is incorrect in doctrine, that you would uh, lead us to an understanding of where that is wrong. Uh, but we certainly would never personally uh, attempt to uh, mislead people over any issue in your word, but to give what is we believe is the correct analysis of it. 
but be glorified uh, through what is right, even if it means correcting us. And we would pray this, that you would be glorified, and we certainly pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we have a mess. Yes, yes I was praying, and that thing just took a nosedive. So we are in uh, 1 Timothy uh, uh, 1, and we're in verse 16, I believe, today. Is that correct? Yeah. Going to go back so, to the beginning of the paragraph. That 15. would be great. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. 16. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Okay. Says basically the same thing, just a little differently. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering. Uh, so what he's done here, I won't even get into it. I'm sure I say it in the analysis. Um, all long suffering is a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So kind of the same as yours, just a little eternal life, everlasting life, but and however, and a couple of differences. Yep. Um, let's see here. Uh, Paul, after having claimed that he was the chief of sinners, now proceeds to give a reason for his selection despite that unhappy claim to fame. Okay, that's exactly what I was going to say, so I'm glad this is in here. However, it, uh, it stated, um, however, I'm sorry, the word however is stated to set the tone of this new thought. I was the chief of sinners, however. This is immediately explained by, for this reason I obtained mercy. He points out that the very fact that he was a chief of sinners is why he was selected. He put himself on the uh, highest position of being a sinner before God. I mean, he had all of the knowledge that a person could have from the Old Testament. He had all of the knowledge of what Jesus had done. He had heard the uh, you know, the apostles and the uh, disciples tell why they believed what they believe, and he rejected it outright. And so uh, he said, for this reason I obtained mercy, is so that God could show how gracious he is, how merciful he is to those who are willing to come to him. Obviously, Paul had to be nudged along a little bit, but he was given this chance that other people are not given except to hear the gospel and accept it or reject it. But uh, it was God's selection. He determined what he determined, and Paul turned out to be the right guy for the job. Um, he says... Uh, he points out that the very fact that he was the chief of sinners is why he was selected, okay? God, infinitely wise, looked at Paul's heart and knew that, what, that he would feel as he does, okay? He said, this guy is very zealous. He's just got a zealous attitude, and it's misdirected. It's going in the wrong direction. When he realizes the mistake that he has made, he is going to do everything for the rest of his life to honor me and to make up for his past misdeeds, okay? And that doesn't mean you have to make up for your past misdeeds. Christ took care of all of that at the cross, but Paul felt the burden of what he had done, and he wanted to, you know, make his own sort of amends to the Lord for what he had done. As, as we so, all should feel. That's absolutely, and people that don't feel that way, you're right. I, I, I hear people say that you don't need to feel that way, and I don't like hearing that from them. I don't. I think that we all, if we know that we offended God and we know that he forgave us, we should still 
feel bad for what we have done and we should do everything we can to not earn our salvation but to earn a position in our salvation that is worthy of what he did for us right. and I, I don't understand people that that argue against that and I believe me I'm sure you've there had it I know time. I have had right. it you know oh, you got to put all that behind you you got I don't ever want to forget who I was right. I don't ever want to forget the things I did because if I do I'm not going to be doing what I'm doing right now I, I know I won't you know that's I think of the past and that's what drives me on it, it just does so I understand Paul's situation I understand it completely and I hope that everybody else here does as well yet you're forgiven and the past is done that doesn't mean that you have to forget it okay uh, you know when you get to heaven what joy is there in knowing that Christ redeemed you if you don't remember what you were redeemed from I, I, I just don't understand that thinking but Whatever. I'm sure somebody's got a logical argument why I'm wrong, but I, I don't I don't see it. Um, so uh, uh, where was I? Um, I don't even know. Yeah, such as, oh yeah, okay, so uh, God infinitely wise look at Paul's heart and knew that he would feel as he does. And he knew that Paul would use his state before Christ as an example of comfort and reassurance to any and all who felt as he did. And that's another reason why it's nice to remember where you were is because people will email you and they'll ask you a question or they'll come up to you personally and they'll say, I've got all this baggage. And I say, well, then turn your life around and live for the Lord and take what you were and become something new in Christ. Don't just dwell on the past. I mean, I don't dwell on it, but I don't want to forget it. I don't want to let it go because I want to remember who I was so that I can not be that person and I can excel who I am now okay yeah appreciate the contrast that's exactly right and uh, so you know people will ask me that quite often you know what do I do about my past and I got some people that will not let go of it to the point where it is harming their future and that's exactly the opposite of what should be happening it should be spurring you on in your future but I, I know people that just constantly dwell on their past and they they I don't know. I, I, I can't go any further because I'd have to give away something that I don't want to, but it, it I don't understand that thinking. Got to let it go at the same time. Remember it. Remember it and carry it with you so that you can spur yourself onto something better. Um, uh, let's see here. So never wavering in his assurance of salvation, he continues with that in me first Christ Jesus might show all long-suffering. Okay, he just said that he's the chief of sinners or the first of sinners. Now he says that in me first, Christ might show all long suffering. So he claimed that he was the chief of sinners and now he's the first person that really, really, really can benefit from that. All the other people knew Jesus. They had lived with him. They had come to him or, you know, they, they were good law observance people or what yeah they didn't fight him whatever exactly and so uh he just he's taking himself and he's putting his previous uh life as a chief of sinners as a contrast to uh what christ did in him first in this regard so or maybe not a contrast but a compliment to it um uh anyone who thought i cannot be saved my sin is too great and i've had people say this to me i many times i've heard this uh, as a matter of fact, somebody that we know, I won't say who it was, was on a uh, teleconference with somebody about, we'll just say Frontier. I don't know, some tr problem in his house. 
And uh, so he's talking to the guy. The guy is in India. And I might have said this in a class. And if I did, then he was here and knew it. But um, uh, he was talking to somebody in India. And he said, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And he says, I can't be saved. He says, I, what I've done is I can't be saved. And I know, I know that this guy was, you know, there's a lot of Catholics in India. And he's had that beaten into him that, you know, unless you do this and this for the church, you can't be saved. And this guy was telling him, you know, that's completely wrong attitude. Well, that's what people will say, you know, I cannot be saved. My sin is too great. All they need to do is come to Paul's words here to see that such is not the case. Doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are, you know. And that's why I get so upset at people, you know. I I, I just get so upset at the, the people that will say something like, um, well, he was a homosexual, you know, and they, they like your sin was any worse, you right. know. I mean, let me tell you what one sin separated you from God. If he was a homosexual, or if he was a this or a that, or one thing or another, and they just they're, they're like, uh, I don't want to be around him. What do you think the purpose of Jesus is? Right. You know, what is Paul telling us? In Christ, all things are new, yes. you know, all things. It just, I, you know. Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, I mean, he's out having lunch with his neighbor. Or, <laughs> and next thing you know, he's coming to Christ. So it just... Uh, no, his neighbor for lunch. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly... I almost said that, and I thought, I'm not going to say that, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> I was going to say that and then correct myself. But uh, yeah. Um, so, I, but you know, the Lord will forget. You know something I didn't know? I didn't know this, and I've never liked this guy because of his attitude. I've liked his acting. But I've never liked him personally. But somebody sent me a video, and Jim Carrey yeah. is a Christian. What? Yeah, I, I, not I, I only that, he had a great testimony. He was meeting his brothers, and he's saying, this is how Christ changes your life. And I, I could not believe it, because he is such a strange guy. And he would just, the things he did were just, he, he politically, he was on the complete opposite spectrum of anything normal. And... All of a sudden, I get this video yesterday. Maybe it was this morning. I'm like, I can't believe he's in a church a and he's thing? talking to people about Jesus. What? Is this a new thing? Like, well, no, it was like 20. Right? It's been a while. And I didn't know. And that's probably why he faded out of the, uh, you don't see him much of him anymore. He yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So that's why, you know, you just don't see these. But I don't know if you ever saw the movie, um, uh, The Truman Show. Yeah. You see that? That's all Jesus-based. I don't know if you got that the typology, but all the way through it. And, and don't get me wrong. I don't think that they were, they may have been mocking Jesus at the time, but uh, here he is, you know, my name is Christos. I'm your father. And this voice comes out, right? And he's all of these, he's in the boat. He's trying to get away. He goes down. And when he goes down, he goes down in the shape of a cross. And then he comes out of the water in the resurrection. You just watch the movie and think of Jesus, and you will see Jesus all the way through that movie. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So, But you have to be thinking of that, because if not, it doesn't make any sense. But there he is. He's he's playing the part. And then the father, Christos, says, I am your father. <laughs> so watch the movie. You'll like it and uh, with a new perspective. But anyway, I did not. What's that? Truman Show. The Truman Show. Yeah, it, I won't give any more details because it'll blow it. It's it's a movie that you have to either watch or somebody tell you about. But um, I really enjoyed it anyway. And then when I saw the typology in there, 
I was like, I can't believe that. So anyway, um, let's see here. So going on, uh, uh, where were we? Look at me. Uh, yeah, Paul clearly shows that somebody that says, I can't be saved because I've sinned too much, that is wholly unrealistic. Look at me and be assured that Christ will forgive you as he forgave me. He will forgive you as well. Is his adamant cry to the one burdened by his past life. I mean, that's why he's writing these things. He's writing it to another person who is a pastor who is going to be instructing people in doctrine. And he wants them to know, use me as an example. That's fine. Tell them about my life and how everything I did was contrary to the cross. And yet God was merciful on me, even me. Okay, that's the point of what he is saying here. Uh, the long suffering of Christ towards those who would otherwise be his objects of wrath is highlighted in Paul. Okay, and you know, when you're reading Paul, you can see it all the way through there. You, you can just get that feeling. He didn't need to write us these words for us to know it. But I'm glad he did write us these words because it helps us to say with absolute certainty, this is what was motivating him. This is what, and you know, he's writing it to somebody that he had traveled with for eons. They've been all over, you know, Asia and uh, uh, you know, the Greek and all of, all of that area. He'd been with him traveling and yet he's telling him this in a letter, which means that he wanted it to be known permanently. Okay, he probably said it to him 15 times. Man, you should have seen the guy I was, you know, just, but he's writing it in a formal letter to make sure that it stands as a witness and a testimony to his life so that Timothy can feel absolutely okay with telling other people about what he had done. He's not hiding anything, okay? Um, uh, so uh, let's hear the long suffering of Christ towards those who would otherwise be objects of his wrath is highlighted in Paul, making him, his words, a pattern to those who are going to believe on him, meaning Jesus, for everlasting life or yours eternal life. Uh, this is the reason for Paul's calling, supernatural as it may be. He was the chief of sinners, but God literally manifested himself in order to make him an example, a pattern for those who would bear the weight of their own sin. And you know what, we can say, uh, well, you know, Charlie says that we don't have visitations from God anymore and all that kind of stuff. And you can ignore that. I had a visitation from God. It was as real as if Jesus was standing right in front of me. Why? Because I read his word, okay? This is what reveals Jesus. And I had my own manifestation of God, all right? And hopefully every one of you did too. When somebody talked to you about Jesus and you stood there and thought, he is infinitely holy. And I'm standing here completely just gross before him. And if you have that attitude, then you can say you had your own divine visitation with him. You understood the magnitude of who he is and what you are in his presence. And so I don't believe that we need Jesus to pop into our office and start talking to us about how bad we are. I don't think we need that. What we need is the word. And I'm so certain of that that we actually fund missionaries around the world for that purpose. Okay, That's why we do that is because we want people to share that word who are not going to hear it otherwise. I don't believe Jesus is going to show up in the dark jungle and start telling people, you need me. Okay, I've heard those stories in the past and every time I hear it, I don't believe it. Okay, it's always something that people just say. Okay, but 
we don't need that. What we need to do is make sure those people get this word. If they get it, that man, it changes lives in every culture that it is taught in. Wherever you go around this world, if this word is preached, people will see it. Or they'll reject it. I mean, you go out into the streets here and you talk to people and you have a certain number of people that accept it and a certain number of people that reject it. God knows that. He knows that his word is going to harden some people. All right, and he even says in his word, this is the purpose of my word, you know, is to, to draw a line in the sand for people to say, I'm going to accept or reject it. It's been that way from the very beginning. So uh, we have it, it's here, and I just, I, I'm so thankful that we can tell people about Jesus through this word. Um, uh, yeah, supernatural as it may be. He was a chief of sinners, but God literally manifested himself to make him a pattern. I read that. Uh, despite their desire to believe, even when it seemed futile, they simply couldn't accept that God would be willing to forgive them. Okay? And like I said, I talk to people like this all the time. I, I have never felt that way. God can't forgive me. I never felt that way. But I think all the time. I think it to this day, I'll be out working and I'll say, God, why would you forgive me? I understand he did, but it, the magnitude of it is beyond my understanding. The greatness of God's grace is beyond my understanding. Okay. And, but uh, I, I never questioned the salvation he provided. I don't think that's ever happened in my life, but I do question why he would bother. You know, there, and there's a difference between the two. You read the word, it says what it says, and you believe it. You know, you don't have to keep... That's probably the point I was making about the people that I talk to all the time and they keep saying, you know, my, my past, my past. And it's like they, they say they know they're forgiven, but they don't live like they know they're forgiven. And that's, that's probably what I was trying to say earlier is that some people, you know, I don't want to forget my past because it spurs me onto the future. They are living in the past as if God is somehow maybe going to take away their salvation. Yeah, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved, but, and they just can't let go of who they were, as if, you know, God has not done that. If he has, then you should. That's all there is to it. If God has forgiven you, you should forgive yourself and be done with it. But that doesn't mean you have to forget it. Let it spur you on, okay? So that's, that's probably what I was trying to think earlier, is how do I explain this? And if you're one of those people, stop it. Now, what was that? Bob Newhart, who sent me that? Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, Tom, uh, Tom, Tom Steiger. I, I told you about this a couple weeks ago, and it keeps coming into my head, is um, uh, Bob Newhart. And the lady walks in, and he says, this will only take five minutes, and stop it. He says, what? Well, what are you doing? Stop it. Okay, well, that's what we need to do with our, our you know, forget it. Just stop it. Okay, move forward. That's what we need to do. Move forward. Um, so, uh, yeah, despite their desire to believe, even when it seemed futile, they simply couldn't accept that God would be willing to forgive them. But because of Paul's calling, they too can be reassured that their own salvation, because of faith in Christ, is not impossible. Instead, it is rather both possible and assured. 100%, if you come to Jesus and you believe the gospel, you will be forgiven. Done deal. That's what the word says. If this word is from God, he cannot lie, then it's true. Absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, going back in thought, this is just something, it just came to mind, has nothing to do with what we're looking at, but uh, it's a good time to just mention this, is that if you are reading the Word and you understand what the Word says, okay, and somebody says, well, I don't want to do that, right? Uh, you know, I'm in a church that speaks in tongues, okay? And I just want to give you a logical thing before I go on. 
you go into a church and they speak tongues. Okay, everybody's out there speaking tongues. How do you know that that is not real? What's that? Okay, one, there's no interpreter. Everybody's just doing their own thing. Two, one at a time. Two to three. Two to three. Well, two, two to three total. Okay, but he says each in his own time, I think. Anyway, even if it doesn't, yeah, no, it's one at a time. But um, uh, absolutely, so you've got, uh, and who gave us those instructions? Paul, but under, under inspiration of the Spirit. The, all Scripture is given by God. Okay, holy men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit. If we believe that that is true and that this word is the word of God, then that means that this word is given by the Spirit. God cannot, it's not that he won't, God cannot contradict himself. He cannot do it, or he's not God. So God says that this is what is in uh, expected in a church. One person, let's read it really quickly. Just wait. This is just one example. I mean, there's all kinds of things that I could have brought up, but this is a very easy one to remember. Okay, so you have, and I'm doing this, stopping that for a minute, just so that you can remember to think critically when you're talking to somebody about Jesus. It says, um, uh, that's, oh, it prophesy. Uh, I just saw that one by one. So it might be prophesy. Anyway, we're going to go back to uh, the, uh, the, uh, where is it? Uh, speak with tongues more. If I come to you speaking in flute, okay, uh, there be so, okay. Uh, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So either he's going to speak in the tongue and interpret, or there's going to be somebody that interprets it for him. For if I pray in a tongue, let me go down here. Um, uh, do not be, uh, therefore, tongues are a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Okay, so why would you be doing that in a church full of uh, believers? Anyway, therefore, if the church comes together in one place and all speak in tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Okay, so um, here it is. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most. Here it is, yes, each in turn. And let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Okay, so you know that if you see people in a church and they're speaking in the tongue and it's not being interpreted and there's two or three or 10 or everybody, or if the pastor's up there making some gobbledygook sounds and he's not interpreting, it's not of God. You know that. You don't need to question it because the Lord has given the instruction in his word. They say that they're being spirit inspired. That's their claim. They're not saying I'm doing this on my own. They're claiming that the spirit is speaking through them, right? Everybody agree with that? Yep. It's not true. That's how you know, because God will never contradict himself. Okay, point of doctrine done. Um, uh, despite their desire to believe, oh yeah, uh, the final words for everlasting life, or as his reads, for eternal life, are a resounding note of eternal salvation, okay? There is no hint or uh, here or anywhere else in Paul's writing of anything, anything but once saved, always saved. Right. You will never find another doctrine in Paul's writings. You won't find it in Peter's writings. You won't find it in Jude or in John. You won't find it anywhere where you can lose your salvation. Unless misinterpreted. <laughs> Unless it's taken out of context and misinterpreted. Yeah, shipwrecked. Like they, I, that has nothing to do with the loss of salvation, <laughs> but they take that and they apply it to it, and that's incorrect. Okay, so uh, right here, 
eternal salvation. He's said it. He says it again and again and again in various ways. Uh, but God isn't going to lie, and that's the main thing. I, you know, I keep it as simple as possible. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. He has sealed you with a guarantee for the day of redemption. Either that is true or it's not true. There's no, exclu- there's no middle, okay? There, it's true or it is not true. If you were sealed for the day of redemption, that means that God has sealed you for the day of redemption. There you go. That's, it's done, okay? Uh, what happens at the day of redemption is what you need to worry about. And I'm not talking about worry about condemnation. I'm talking about your life. What are you expecting in rewards in heaven? Okay, so um, believe what you want on that. Once saved, always saved, or you can lose your salvation. You have to be the one that decides that, but the word does not teach anything but eternal salvation. That's it. It's done. You are in Christ. Christ cannot deny himself. Done deal. Okay, so um, let's see here. Um, uh, Everlasting life means exactly what it says, and it is based on belief. One leads to the other, and the deal is done. You know, you get these people that will just talk about how you can lose your salvation. And as Jim has noted several times, it never applies to them. Never. It always applies to somebody else. You can lose your salvation. I'm not going to lose mine because, okay, what an arrogant way to walk through life. What an absolutely arrogant way to walk through life. But that is what people want to do. They want you to feel bad about who you are in Christ and maybe exalt them because of how great they are in Christ. I don't know what they're thinking, but there you go. Um, So uh, how sad that so many curse this doctrine of eternal salvation. I've actually seen people do that. I've seen them say it's a damned lie from the devil and blah, 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 blah. I've actually seen those words applied once saved, always saved. And I think, you know, you have not really thought this through at all. You don't even know what the Bible says. You're, you know, one of the guys that did this, he was in Australia. This is years ago, and I've never forgotten it. He was saying it's the biggest lie of the devil. My son used to attend church, and he was saved, and he believed in Jesus, and he walked away from the Lord. Now he's a drug addict. That's not the Lord's fault, and the Lord will not forget what he did. That Just because that kid is having a bad life and the dad failed to raise him properly or whatever he's thinking, it's not true. That if that kid was saved, he is saved. That's all there is to it. He is the one that will suffer for the lack of uh, rewards that he will be getting. And the things, you know, the removal of uh, all of the bad stuff that he's done with his life. But that doesn't mean he's not saved, okay? God is covenanted in the blood of his son for that child. If he was saved, he is saved. 2 Peter 1, 9, go read it again. Just start in verse 1, 2 Peter 1, verse 1, read down to 9, and you'll see. Exactly what you were supposed to do is what that kid didn't do. And it ended up with verse 9. He's forgotten that he was a saved believer. He's completely forgotten that he was washed by the blood of Christ. Okay, that's what happens. But, uh, and it also, you know, not only is that kid going to lose rewards, but the father is going to lose rewards for not knowing his Bible and losing faith in the Lord that saved his son in the first place, okay? The whole thing is just bad. But once again, you know, people are going to believe exactly what they're going to believe on that, and it's very hard for people to change their mind on doctrine. I understand that. But you need to pick up the word, and when you pick it up, say, I want to know what it actually says. I'm not going to insert my presuppositions into it. It's a very hard thing to do. argue that 
saying, well, he probably wasn't saved in the first place. Well, How do you I, know that he That's not saved? for you or me or anybody right. else to know. And, and that that's, might be true, but it's like, how do you know? Yeah, like, that's if he was saved, he is saved. And if he wasn't, then that is his problem. That's between him and the Lord. But that, that I'd love to hear people say that. It's like, what, you want me to now get inside of his head? Right. And they do it all the time. They expect you to be the arbiter of that kid's salvation. That's not me. It was Frank, perfect example, Franklin Graham. He was saved. He went way away from the Lord. He wrote a book about it, Rebel something. Anyway, you know, and then eventually he came back. So was he unsaved and then he became saved again? Is there any logic in that? Zero. There's no logic in that at all. He was saved and he suffered through his years of rebellion. Whatever. And how do you get resaved? Yeah, there is there's nothing in the Bible that tells you how to be resaved. There's nothing. Either you're saved or you're not saved, but there's nothing that ever instructs you on this is how you reacquire your salvation. Okay. Bad doctrine. Okay. Um, life application. Oh wait a minute, I didn't finish that. Um, they these people that uh, curse the doctrine of eternal salvation have failed to properly and accurately see that God's grace is a gift. A gift with conditions is no gift at all. There's no gift if there are conditions attached to it. Paul, unflinching in his salvation and unflinching in the eternal nature of it, asks us to likewise be assured of these things. The Lord has set him as the pattern, and we too are to look with confidence to that doctrine. Okay, that's what we are to do. Okay, when I said that there is no such thing as a gift with strings, Show me one that is. If you can refute that, show me any gift that has strings on it that is still a gift. If you say, I'm going to give you this Maserati, okay, whatever. Yeah, but you have to do this or you have to do that. That means you've got to earn the gift. What color it, is it? Uh, it's red. <laughs> it's not white, so you don't need it, okay? Um, he likes white cars. Um, yeah, I... Uh, I don't know how anybody can't think the word gift through. I don't care what you attach to it. Attach something to whatever you give, and it doesn't matter the value of it. It doesn't matter if it's the most precious thing on this planet. If <laughs> if there is something attached to it, it's not a gift. That's it. All God asks you to do is believe. And when you believe, you receive. There's nothing added beyond that. That's it. Okay, life application. Let us be assured <clears throat> that there is no thing that we have done which will keep us from being saved if we hand it over to Jesus. And let us then be assured that there is nothing that can keep us from continuing in that salvation, even if the Maserati is red. Okay? <laughs> faith, it saves you. Have faith in that. Okay? That's all there is to it. Faith is what saves. Belief in what Christ has done. Done deal. Okay, if you are lacking faith after being saved, you're the one that will lose rewards. As I said, anything that's not done in faith is sin. And you can't get a reward for that. Just live in faith. And the, 2 Peter 1.9, I'm not going to read it. Every time I do, I end up reading the whole thing and evaluating it. But just go read 2 Peter 1 through verse 9 and think about what he's saying. Put any person on this planet, that guy's kid, Franklin Graham, yourself, anybody in there, just insert them in there. Hey, John, how we doing there? Insert yourself in there and or them and read it. 
and see if you can come to some conclusion where it means that that guy actually lost his salvation. You're not going to find it. It's not going to happen. Okay, and that takes us to verse 17. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, now this one reads a little differently. And uh, so people argue over verses like this, you know. And uh, so that one says, um, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. This one says, um, now to the King immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so it reads a little differently. Mm -hmm. All right. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. Translation is very, very important, okay? But there are differences in some texts, and those things have to be worked out, all right? But uh, let's go ahead and see what I said. This has been a while, so I don't remember what my analysis was, but we're going to find out right now. Um, Excuse me. After contemplating his calling and position in Christ, which was so very undeserved, Paul breaks forth into a doxology, recognizing God's great glory. It is the God who pulled him out of the clutches of Satan and brought him into his marvelous light that he now breaks forth in praise uh, with the words, Now to the King Eternal. This is from a commonly used Hebrew phrase, Melech HaOlam, or King of the Ages. Some people will say King of the... Literally... uh, Ha is the article, the, and then olam. What olam means is to the vanishing point. Okay, so there are times in the Old Testament, you got to be careful with uh, translations on this. Sometimes the word olam does not mean forever and ever. Okay, uh, now they will add a superlative onto it quite often, and that will mean forever, like ad olam, until forever or until the vanishing point. But when it says that you have a priesthood, Olam to, uh, we'll say Aaron, okay? That means to the vanishing point. Whatever the vanishing point is. It doesn't mean that Aaron's priesthood is forever. Why? Because Christ's annulled it. Everybody got that? So you can't argue that Aaron has a priesthood forever. Jesus has a priesthood forever. Jesus came and his work annulled the Old Testament. It annulled the Old Covenant. I shouldn't have said the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, okay? And by annulling the Old Covenant, it's ended. That is the vanishing point, all right? So you've got to be careful with that word. But in this case, when it says um, the king of the ages, Melech HaOlam, that means that he is the king of the vanishing point, which means forever. Yes? If Aaron's covenant, uh, the, what you say? Mosaic Covenant. If it had continued, right. wouldn't it have meant that Aaron himself would be eternal? Well, no, because be he, he is an appointed mediator. And so okay. his seed, he lives through his seed, basically. Oh, okay. Okay? okay. And so um, it, it wouldn't have meant that he is. But okay. his, his uh, priesthood was supposed to go on to the vanishing point. And it did. It went right away on until, um, and if you read the book of Hebrews, it explains this very clearly. You know, Hebrews talks about how Christ is better than Aaron. Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than the angels. Christ is better. Keeps saying it. You know, just think when you're reading the book of Hebrews as a, uh, uh, you know, a code word for the whole book is better than, okay, or greater than. Christ is greater than these things. And he's going through there and he's explaining them. 
And when he says that he is uh, greater than Moses, he explains why he's greater than Moses and how he is greater than Moses. Okay, but uh, be careful with the word olam in the Old Testament. Just when somebody gives you an analysis, they may be wrong if they're misusing that word. Um, uh, olam also, uh, I, I won't get into it now. Okay, we'll stick on, we'll focus on this. Directly translated from the Greek, it also reads King the Ages, with the of being, a, a, what do you call it, a italicized, King of the Ages, King the Ages, okay? It signifies the eternal nature of his rule. This time came into existence at his command, and since that moment, ages have come and ages have gone. During these successive generations, God is on the throne. He doesn't change. He's not going anywhere. What's happening here in this stream of time and human existence doesn't affect him in any way, shape, or form. He is the unmoved mover. He is the beginning of all things, the beginner of all things, okay? So God is completely unaffected by what is going on in the stream of time. He knows that what's happening, but he is not affected by it in any way. He is on his throne. That will never change, okay? And Jesus is the expression of God in human form. That's what we need to get our minds around, okay? I, I was thinking about Russell today, Charles Taz Russell, the JWs, and, you know, I was reading a watchtower one time, because we get them down in the projects. They hand them out to people, and then we'll get it, and, you know, we always throw them away after we read them. But, um, you know, one of them said how uh, it was describing their great person, Charles Taz Russell, and how he had his epiphany reading the Bible that Jesus is not God. And I thought, I wish they'd all have an epiphany of reading the Bible and seeing that he is, he is God. Because they've completely misunderstood Scripture. They've completely misunderstood what's going on there by coming to some type of an epiphany that Jesus isn't God. They're nothing clearer in Scripture than the deity of Jesus Christ. He is the focus of the Bible. He is the intent of the Bible. Without Jesus, there wouldn't be any Bible. There wouldn't be anything. Okay? He is the eternal God that is united with human flesh. Okay, that is Jesus. So he is the king of the ages. Now we could say that's God the Father, but Jesus is God. Okay, within the Godhead, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but they're all God. Okay, so um, uh, where are we now? Uh, successive generations, he is on the throne. Where was that? Um, time came to his existence, his command, and uh, ages have come, ages have gone. Okay, he is on the throne even for all eternity and he will always be there. Whereas all else is created, he is uncreated. His rule has no beginning and no end. Okay, once again, we have um, uh, the people, the atheists, once in a while they come up on my, you know, while I'm, I tell you, Hidako's doing something, we're getting ready for dinner, and I'll be sitting there just looking at little four and five, and I always ask her, how long till dinner? And then she gets all upset, like, stop! And I said, I just want to know how long of a video to pull up. If you say 15 minutes, I'll pull up a 14-minute long video. Okay, I just want to know. And then she calms down, but it, it's like this repeating theme in her house. So what I've started to do about a month, two, three, four months ago, however long it's been, is I say, now, I'm asking not to get you stressed, but to know how long of a video to watch. Okay, so it's, I know, it's just like a comedy. If you had a camera, you'd be laughing. But, okay, so these guys come up and they, 
they uh, are, you know, the theologian versus the atheist, and they're debating these things. And uh, sometimes they will have that format, and then during it or after it, they will allow the audience to ask questions. And the inevitable question that you will see, inevitable. I, Ken Ham got one a couple days ago. He's doing a talk on something. Inevitable question that young people will ask is, um, okay, if uh, uh, God created all things, why does he create evil or no, Satan? No, that not, not what? Who created God? That's the inevitable oh, question yeah, of all God young people. Thinker. Older thinkers will ask about evil. They'll ask about things like that. They will ask, well, who created God? Okay. No. Well, exactly. But you know what? The problem with that question. What is the problem with that question? It just moves the ball down the court. It, it moves it back. It doesn't right, move right, it down. Right, it moves right, it back. back, back. You right, can't have an infinite regress of anything. Right. Yeah, right. There is a point where you have to say there is there is something, and something is. Okay, that's there. Something had to create that. It didn't create itself. Okay, so there is something. Now that we have something, there has to be something that must be, and that goes back to the first principle: something that must be. It is, and whatever that is, that is God. He is uncreated. He didn't need anybody to coax him into existence because if he did, then you've moved it back one, just right. like you said. So this is why, you know, a lot of atheists, even uh, what's that uh, smart guy, uh, Dawkins, I say smart, tongue in cheek, you know, he's talking about, well, aliens could have planted life here on the, that's just uh, kicking the ball back. That's all it's doing. It's just saying, I'm not going to deal with God, so I'm going to deal with aliens. It doesn't answer the question of where the aliens came from you know and they've done this if you've ever watched the star trek uh the next generation they had this one time all human life they've got this they found this code the secret code and all of these people these aliens are looking for this code there's one key left and everybody's looking for it and then they come out they the final key they put it in all of these aliens are with the humans down on this planet they put the code together and this this uh, like Princess Leah thing, hologram comes up mm -hmm. and it says, we knew that you would find us someday. They put this genetic code in all life around the universe. We created you. It doesn't solve anything right. because they had to be there too. And if they are there, then where did they come from? See the problem there? Right. So uh, when we're talking about God being the king of the ages, that means that he is. He is uncreated, nothing created him, and the question, who made God, is irrelevant. It's not a smart question to ask because it doesn't, all it does is who move things back. Who made that necessary being? Yeah, who made that necessary being? If he's necessary, then there can only be one necessary being. He's the unmoved mover. He is the beginner of all things, okay? That is God, all right? We might not be able to fully grasp that. No because he's in the infinite realm, which means there's no time associated with it. So we can't, we can't you know, people will say, well, why didn't God create earlier? So that, you know, this would be uh, further along the stream of time. Same type of question, it, an irrelevant question, because it, God created at a point. There was no time before that point. It doesn't matter if it was, you know, a second earlier, a second later. There was no time before that. 
And so when he created, that was the moment, moment that it happened. Everything after that is going to start happening in a sequence. Okay, so we can't put our thinking about what we know and say, well, that describes God. That's not possible. And so we can say, I'm, I don't understand exactly what God is like, but I do know that he is totally actualized. There's no potential in God at all. He, there's no act, or he is pure act. There is no potential, meaning there's no change in him. Okay, this is potential. This can get grayer. This can get cut. This can catch on fire. It has all kinds of potential. That chair has potential. You have potential. I can get older. Everything is getting older. All right, that's potential. There's none of that in God. There is no change in him. He will never get happier. He will never get sadder. He will never get angrier. He'll never get more in love with you. God is, okay? We need to understand that, and then we it helps us understand why the incarnation is because that is how God revealed himself to us in the most superlative way. We have all of this information about God in the creation and even his prophetic writings, which however he transmitted them to his people. One argument about inspiration, this is going to be a little spooky here, but bear with me and you'll understand at least the argument, is that if Jeremiah was given a prophecy by God, okay, if Jeremiah was given a prophecy by God, there are two explanations. The first is that God made that prophecy come into Jeremiah's ear at the moment he created. It would happen when Jeremiah was alive. But because God doesn't change and he's not doing anything after creation, because he's outside of time, then that means that the prophecy that ended up in Jeremiah's ear at that point in time was set in the stream of time before anything was created. Okay. The second one is that and this is really what I think is probably the most logical explanation is that Jesus, the incarnation, we talked about that uh, on the Christmas sermon, is that he's the eternal Christ. And so he can interact within time. So when there is a voice speaking to Jeremiah, that is Jesus, the second member of the Godhead, already united with human flesh, appearing in his own past. Okay, And we know that he can do that because he did it with Abraham. There's not a pre-incarnate visit of the Lord to Abraham. Pre-incarnate means before incarnate. That was an incarnate person. He had hands, he had feet, and he sat and he ate with Abraham. Therefore, he is the eternal Christ. That more fully explains it. It's uh, probably a lesser view, but I think it's probably the better view because Jesus is the master of time and space. When he came into the stream of human existence, as determined by God at the moment that he did, then he can move anywhere within the stream of existence because he is fully God and fully man. Well, you okay. skip the thing. He's the king of matter, too. Well, that's right. So, he's, he's the creator of it. And that so, would be, uh, that would go to what Isaiah says. You know, he's Abiyad, the father of eternity. Everything about him. He created everything, okay? And so he's, uh, when it says the father of eternity, Abiyad, uh, the eternal father, that does not mean that he is the father of eternity. What it means is that, uh, here's, I, I, this is how I explained it in that sermon about four years ago, is Charles Babbage is the father of what? He's known as the father of the computer. That It is a title. It's not saying God the father. It's, it's a title. Okay. Uh, Thomas Edison is the father of? 
electricity. electricity and the light bulb. That's right. So uh, we would ascribe that as a title. When it says that Jesus, the coming Messiah, is Abiad, he is the father of eternity, he is the one that, that developed it. He's the one that gave it to us. He's the one that uh, therefore rules over it. Okay, that is Abiyat. Okay, so Jesus is the one that is having these things occur within time. He is God and he is man. So he is able to do that. Anyway, um, so uh, uh, where was I? Time came into existence at his command and since that moment, ages have come and ages have gone. During these successive generations, God is on his throne. Okay, um, uh, I'll finish this. And as the ages continue on, I know I've read this, even for all eternity, he will still be there. Whereas all else is created, as he said, he is uncreated. He is the father of creation. Okay, he's the one that thought the thing up. He's the one that made it happen. Okay, and that goes hand in hand with uh, Hebrews 1, 3, is it? And Colossians uh, 1, uh, uh, two, it might be, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm thinking of one where it says he, by him, all things are created and all things consist. consist. That means it's not only that he created and he stopped like the deists say. Okay, if he stopped holding together creation, it would simply disappear. That's the power of God because we can light off a thermonuclear bomb, which is really big and say, wow, that was really big. That is nothing. You can have millions and billions of thermonuclear bombs going off in the sun, like the, the red giants, what's Pegasus or one of them, these giant, every minute. There's so much power going off in one of those suns every minute that all of the power on the earth that since it began doesn't compare to one minute of power going off in one of those. And we think, oh, that's a really big explosion. That thing is huge and that thing is nothing compared to a solar system. And a solar system is nothing compared to a galaxy and a galaxy is nothing compared to the universe. And yet God, Jesus Christ is holding all of that together right now. All of it. Every single thing that happens, every atom that is exploding or every uh, person that's kissing. It doesn't matter what is happening. He is holding it all together right now. Okay. That is the power of God. And we, we try to just put him in these little boxes and say, look at how simple God is. No. And he forgave my sins. And he was willing to forgive my sins. Of all the things that we think of all that power out there, all of that majesty, all of that wisdom that keeps everything working perfectly. He would stop and say, I have value in them. That's an amazing proposition. Absolutely. That is amazing. Good point. Paul continues with immortal. The word literally means incorruptible. Whereas king of the ages defines the scope of the rule of God, this word speaks of his being. He is without beginning, he is without end. If there's corruption in him, then eventually he would wind down. That would be the second rule of thermodynamics, okay? Uh, energy in a closed system is winding down. It's being expended, okay? Now, the universe is a really big system. It can go on for a long time. But everything that goes on in the universe will eventually wear out. Okay, there will be a complete transfer of all of the matter from energy into, uh, you know, what do you call it? It's it just stop moving. And at that time, 
an infinite cold would take over the universe, okay? Because there's nothing heating anything up. And the example to help you understand that is I go to the mall. And in the winter time, I have a garbage bag every day. I don't like to waste bags, so I only do one garbage bag a day, and I take the other three cans and I throw it in one bag because I hate waste. So one bag for four days. Okay, so I, uh, I have my garbage bag, and I know that when I get to the can, it's going to be hard to stretch it over it, right? Because it's cold. So what do I do? When I'm in the back of the mall, I take that and I roll it up and I put it in my pocket, right? Now, when I get around, it's warm. I have transferred some of me to that. Got that? And so when I put it over there, it moves easily over the thing. I don't have to stretch it and it tears and then I gotta go get a new bag. I don't have to do that, okay? That is heat going from me to there. Third, thermodynamics, which is a law. It's not you know like a theory like evolution, it is a law. Everything is wearing down. There is a point where it would all be gone if God wasn't sustaining us. And it also, the second rule of thermodynamics teaches us something about God. Because if the universe always existed forever and ever and ever. It'd be gone. What? It'd be gone. It'd be, it'd be over. It'd be worn down. Right. If the universe was eternal, we would have ran out of energy in this universe an infinite time ago because it's infinitely long. There's no beginning to it, and so the universe could not have always existed. It had to have a beginning, which means it had to have a begin-er. That's right, because if not, then an infinite time ago, we would be in a stagnant, cold universe. It would have been over, okay? Doesn't matter when it started, because it's eternal, it had no beginning. So this is an important point to understand about the nature of God is that he is, and he did, and he is still doing. He is holding, and when I say that, God in the sense of sustaining all things is done through the second member of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. If you don't believe it, let's go there really quickly. He said it was verse 16, we're gonna find out. Um, is, uh, it is 16? I believe it is. Okay, I, I know it's right there. I, I, it's 1, 15 through 18 is the, the verses, but uh, Colossians uh, 1, and I, I think you're probably right, it's right in that area but Ephesians, Colossians. Come on, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, so um, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him all things, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. It's 17. And he is before all things. Okay, he is abiyad. He is before all things. He is the father of eternity, and uh, in him all things consist. And I don't like the word consist. The reason why the example I use is because it reminds me of pudding. Pudding has a consistency, okay? I know that, but the, the Darby translation gives the best single word for that, which is by him all things subsist. That's right, he is the subsistence of all things. The NIV give, gives a very good paraphrase of that, by him all things hold together okay. okay all things hold together but subsist explains that in one word consist doesn't something has consistency it doesn't mean it's being subsisted okay and then in hebrews chapter one i like i said i think it's verse three it says holds together okay well that that's a uh, that's a also a paraphrase there but a single word would be subsist 
and I love Darby's translation of that. Yeah, Cons I don't like consist. That's pudding. That's pudding. No, because it doesn't explain it. It's it tells what it is. It doesn't explain it. Subsist does. Okay, so uh, verse three, Hebrews one three, who being the brightness of his glory, that means the glory of God and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Everything in this universe, as I said, everything is being upheld by him right now. There is not a single atom, not a single quark, if you believe in those things. I don't even understand them, but I'm sure they're real. You know, I, they're out there. These things are out there. And they, they say that, I think it's the quarks, that one can be on this side of the universe and the other on this side of the universe, and they're linked. So if this one turns, that one turns at exactly the same time. Anywhere in the universe where it is, I think it's a quark. They, uh, there's a, a particle in, uh, uh, you know, that type of physics that they explain where they are always connected everywhere. It doesn't matter how far away they are. They're not bound by space and time in the sense that we think of it. Like, you know, the speed of light, you got to go here to do that. It's not. They're, they're interconnected, okay? Every one of those that does what it does, does it because Jesus is taking care of it everything. So if you, uh, if you think that your sin is too great for God, then you don't understand the nature of who Jesus is. You do not appreciate what he did because nobody's sin is beyond Jesus. That's like saying what I have done is greater than what God has done. Impossible. Okay. Um, so um, where are we here? Um, what verse are we in? 117, right? right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so we're down at the bottom here. The, uh, uh, facing his own more, uh, where am I? Whereas king of the ages defines the scope of the rule of God, this word speaks of his being. He is without beginning and without end. While other rulers come and go, facing their own mortality, God is eternal. Take care, doctor. Take care, Mabel. Drive safely. The position of his rule is without end, and it is he who fills that position endlessly. Okay, this is Jesus. This is who we uh, worship and who we serve. Is He is God, and the only difference is that he has taken on human flesh so we can understand these things, okay? But he's fully God in all respects, okay? That's the important thing to understand. As well as being fully human, he is fully God. Next, Paul states, invisible. The word used as a compound adjective signifying not seen. Well, if it's not seen, then it is invisible, okay? So, uh, it is closely associated with the Greek word for faith. In other words, he is figuratively speaking of spiritual reality. This is helps word studies as perceived through God's inbirthings of faith, okay? The reason this word is highlighted here and elsewhere as an attribute is to continue to demonstrate his uncorruptible nature. Okay, if you could see something in God, then that could be corrupted, couldn't it? You understand that? If, if there's any, anything physical about God, God is spirit. No man will ever see God. Okay, we know that. We, we will never see God. Okay, we will see Jesus, the expression of God, revealing God to us forever and ever, but we will never see God. If you could see God, there's a couple problems with that. One, you would be God because you would have to be able to see everything about God all at one time. He is spirit. God is spirit. If you could see something about God, it couldn't be God because that thing is corruptible. As I said, if something is physical, you can see it in any way, shape, or form, it means that it has potential. Okay? 
If you want to see potential, just bring a pair of scissors up here and cut my beard. And I will potentially also punch you. Okay, and no, I'm kidding. Um, no. Anyway, so there you go. You've, you've got things that you need to understand about God. And once you do, he is invisible. It's showing that there is no corruption in God. There's nothing that can wear down in God. There's nothing that will change in God. God is. Okay? So, whereas the idols of the nations wear down and are destroyed, they're stolen, they're carried around for parades and stuff, such as not the case with the invisible God. You know, um, Hideko and I, she loves to watch uh, samurai movies lately. She's just, you know, kind of... So we watch, they're pretty good. I, they're nice stories and uh, uh, it, it's just fun, you know, and she gets to see her old home and the culture and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, uh, the saddest thing is when they'll be walking along and somebody will be bowing to a little idol on the side of the road and they might wrap things on it or the, and, and they're praying to this thing. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that we've done all of our life until we met Jesus. We got something in the corner of the house and we touch it and we say, you know, you know and we don't think anything of it. This is giving me good luck, right? And, and we ascribe something to that, okay? You know, the people for a long time, we had feng shui and they'd like, yeah, got to have this mirror and it's got to be in that corner of your house. That'll bring you good chi, right? And you're doing something with something and you're ascribing some type of power to it, Okay. People have Buddhas in their house and they pray to them or they say, you know, don't drop my Buddha. You know, we don't want God to get angry. It's just a piece of stone that somebody fashioned. That's all it is. It's just a piece of stone. And they wouldn't get angry if you picked up the stone and dropped it on the ground, but they'll get angry at, you know. Now, you could be upset that somebody wasted a lot of time. You know, hey, listen, I, I have a car. If somebody came up and started beating on it, I'd be like, you know, that cost me money. I took effort of my life to buy that car. Okay, I can't go buying a new car all the time. So there's a difference in that. But what I'm saying is that a, a Buddha coming out of a piece of stone is just a piece of stone that somebody shaped. And yet during these shows, once in a while, you see somebody praying to one of these things. And I think, I lived there for six years and it never, never crossed my mind, you know, until I really started thinking about who God is and how precious it is to treat him as God. Just never thought about it. It just, they're praying to their God, you know, whatever. I don't even know what I was thinking. You just see them doing it and they're doing it. But once you realize how wrong that is, you read Isaiah and you read Jeremiah and you see how wrong that is and how much he detests it, it becomes important that you, you, you pray for people like that and that you just feel bad for them, that they're so deceived that they would pray to something that somebody hacked out and, you know, sat there on the side of the road, whatever. Um, uh, so uh, after these descriptive words, Paul continues his praise with, to God who alone is wise. Some manuscripts leave out the word wise, thus saying to the only God. Okay, yours says one, mine says one, okay. Which is correct is debated, but with or without the descriptor, the intent is that God alone is above all else. Only him. Okay, he's the only one that deserves our adoration and attention okay in the respect of worship and i you know just loving him and, and honoring him though there are other invisible created things such as angels principalities and powers god is the sovereign ruler over them they are not gods but are subject to him that's why it is such an offense to drive down the road and to go by the catholic church on the island and it says 
St. Michael's are they're worshiping the archangel Michael. You know, I grew up going by there. I never thought St. Michael's. It's just called St. Michael's. It never dawned on me. And then one day I was driving by and I just stopped and looked at the sign and it said St. Michael the archangel. And I thought, talk about violating Hebrews 12 too. Let us fix our eyes on Michael, right? I mean, wow. And you know, they pray to these things. They pray to these statues of these things. And they're so deluded by these things. That's a created being. Now, admittedly, angels are eternal, okay? They're what is known as ev-eternal. They had a beginning, but they have no end, okay? And actually, man is too, but we're in kind of a different state because we're corporeal, okay? We have uh, potential, which is always being actualized. Angels don't have that. They are spirit beings, and therefore, they are fully actuated potential. That means they will never change after the moment that they were actuated. They are beings that were created. They have all of the potential they will ever have. There's no change in them beyond that. Okay, that's what a angel is. A human being is progressively actuating potential, just like that chair. You, you know, if I take a knife and I cut it, it's going to have a hole in it. I can sew it up. I, there's all kinds of potential. Think of it. All day long, you can look at that chair and think of a billion things that you could do with it all day long and still have more to do with it because it exists. We were at a Greek festival about two weeks ago, and the Greek church was called St. Barbara. Oh, boy. So St. Barbara, St. Barbara at the head of the church must have been about 15 feet tall. Oh, boy. Then there was a small cross. Small cross next to St. Barbara. You know, and we don't think these things. We just go to our churches. I was typing today's commentary, and it's on exactly this, uh, this idea is, you know, uh, we we misdirect things and we have in the world people that are Buddhist and we have people in the world that are Muslim and we got people in the world that are Shinto like you know Japan they're Shinto Buddhists they, they actually worship their ancestors that's the main thing but they mixed in Buddhism okay so you got all these different things going on and you got people that are Christian and the only reason why they're Christian is because that's who mom and dad were Okay, I was Christian growing up. My parents are Christian, therefore I'm Christian. I'm not a Buddhist because my parents are Christian. If I don't want to be a Christian, then I need to convert to Islam. And that's your thinking. That's, I'm a Christian because that's what my family are. I'm no more a Christian than that chair if I don't believe in Jesus. Okay, that is what defines me as a Christian. Okay, so the whole world says I'm a Christian, but that doesn't mean that they are. And so the point in my commentary was when you meet somebody and you want to tell them about Jesus and you, they say, well, I'm a Christian, always find out what that means because they may not even know what that means. And if they don't know what that means, guess what? They're not a Christian, right? So it's important to define that. I talked to a guy just a day ago and I said, you know, why should you go to heaven? And he says, well, everybody goes to heaven. And I said, really? And then I asked him a couple questions and he said, oh, Right? I mean, he just hadn't thought it through. I believed I was a Christian because my parents were Christians. I'd never thought it through. So, we, you know, I love to use this person as an example because here she is, the same time as me and the same time as my brother, one of my brothers, we all came to a knowledge of the Lord all about the same time. All right? My mom is listening to Hank Lindstrom. 
is it Hank, Hank Han, Lindstrom, not Hannah Graff. Hannah Graff is the Bible answer man. She's listening every day to this guy, Hank Lindstrom, okay? And he says it at least three times a show. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need, and he, you know, he's uh, through the Bible with, no, that's Hank Hanegraaff. Anyway, he had something like Hank Hanegraaff, but it wasn't Hank Hanegraaff. He was up in Tampa and he had this show. And so he, he would just go through the Bible and his doctrine was not that great, but he was a nice guy, okay? And he uh, would explain the Bible, and but he did one thing that was very good. He kept saying, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. And finally, my mom, after listening to this guy for like years, stopped and she said, I need Jesus. You know, sometimes having something repeated enough, it sinks in. What? Free gift. But you just, you have to accept the gift. And all of a sudden your life changes. Just because you hear something or you think something doesn't mean that it is sunk into you. It doesn't mean that it is a part of you, okay? And that was me. I'm a Christian because my parents are Christian. I go to the Episcopal Church. When I left and I went to um, uh, the Air Force, I'd go to church, and I thought I'm a Christian, so I'd go. I'd walk into the Catholic Church. Well, it's kind. Of, it's almost identical to the Episcopal Church. I mean, it's just get rid of the Pope and get rid of the saints, and it's pretty much the same thing. They say the same thing. They get up at the same time. They sit down in the same stupid way. The whole thing is just. It's just the same rituals, right? So that's what I did. And then I, you know, they don't have a Catholic church here, so I went to a Presbyterian church. It's kind of like Episcopals, but it's a little different. They, you know, they're a little different here, but they're, it's kind of the same. And then I, they didn't have one where I'm next, so I went here. And I thought I was, you know, Keeping that's what I'm club. supposed to do. Yeah, it's like a club thing. And all of a sudden you realize it's about Jesus. It's not about that at all. I'm wasting my time, and St. Barbara especially. I mean, they need Jesus. But how, how misdirected we get in life. I gotta go, we've only got like 10 minutes left. Um, so where was I? To God alone, which is correct, is debated, I said that. Um, yeah, okay, uh, angels, principalities, and powers. I talked about that. It is to him that Paul ascribes honor and glory. Paul's words, honor and glory, to this God. To him alone, all worship, Praise and veneration is to be given. All of it. You know, we shouldn't be giving it to a little thing on the side of the road that we, or side of the, by the door that we, you know, Jews do that. They got their uh, mezuzahs on the side of the uh, uh, door. Then they walk and they rub their hand on it and they kiss their hand and, you know, and they think that's somehow bringing them closer to God. And have your mezuzah on your door. I don't mind putting a mezuzah on my door, but that, that's not something that's going to save me. It's not going to bring me luck. It's not going to do anything. And guess what? The words inside of there are not being obeyed by the people that are doing that. It's all show, right? So uh, don't get into things that will misdirect you from Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. That's the main thing. Um, uh, I, I'm not trying to slam them. It's just what they do. Yes. The Lord had... 40 through 45 of Isaiah. Yeah. He's talking all about this. Idols. I'm alone who's getting the glory. That's right. I, I will not glory. share my glory the with another. And what does that tell you about Jesus? That they're the same. That he must be God because in him is all the glory of the fullness of the Godhead. And it says we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. If this belongs in the Bible, which it certainly does, then either there's a contradiction between Isaiah's words, the Lord's words in Isaiah and John 1, or this is God incarnate. Yeah. 
you can't have one or that can't have both you can have one or the other but you can't have both okay it means that jesus is god just by taking what isaiah says absolutely now he's so he finds this idolatry so repugnant in those verses especially 40 through 45 you know it's just unbelievable how he detests that you know the guy is yeah, we got a couple minutes. The guy is uh, uh, gets a tree and he says, this one is suitable. And so he starts to make his guy. And he's got wood chips all over the place and he's hacking away at this thing. And this is Charlie Garrett paraphrase. And then it says he gets tired, right? And so what does he do? He builds a fire. He took part of the, the thing that he had cut away and he builds a fire with it. He says, oh, I'm warm. Then, of course, he gets some of the chips and he puts it under the uh, pot and he starts making coffee and, you know, heats up his dinner and he says, oh, I'm satisfied. Now, that's all Charlie Garrett paraphrase. I'm just saying the, the logic is that he's making a God here. He's using part of what he made for something that's just burning away. It's going to fill him for a couple hours and he's going to be hungry again. And then when he's all done, he rests, he gets back up, he finishes his job. And the first thing he does is he bows down to his God and he says, save me. You are my God. That is perverse. But that's what we do. We, we just don't think things through. Well, because so, Jesus is holding everything together. Yeah. Some of the stuff he's holding together, he, somebody's making a, a God, God out, out of it. it. And saying, oh, it's That's you. exactly it's right. Me. And that's the point that he's right. saying. It's he's, all mine. mad, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Okay, so um, honor and glory, um, his position of honor. Thus, these things rightly and wholly belong only to him. And this is, as Paul next says, forever ever. Paul's words. This is another Hebrew phrase. It literally states to the ages of ages. Mm -hmm. It is a superlative expression meaning to all eternity. Whatever that means because eternity as I said is something we can't really get our minds around. Uh, there will be no time that another may receive his honor and glory. It can't be because he created everything so that means he's outside of it so it doesn't matter how long it goes on. He is the one that did it. He will always be the one that is to receive the honor and glory. Rather, for as long as eternity lasts, which is forever, not three ever, not two ever, but forever, this is to be ascribed to him. Uh, yeah, we got just enough time. Paul then finishes with, amen. Mm -hmm. It is the traditional ending to any such doxology, signifying so be it. This is how it is, and this is how it ever shall be. There is finality in the expression. God is God. He was and is and ever shall be. By faith, such an expression is made and it confirms in the one making it that what has been said is agreed to in heart and soul. Paul said it. He believes it and he ends it with an amen. This is it. This is the God that I am proclaiming and the glory that he possesses. All right. Life application will be done. God is in, invisible, and thus our Christian walk is one of faith. Christ has returned to the Father and left us with his unseen spirit as our comforter and helper. During this dispensation, we are to live by faith, not expecting nor receiving a physical manifestation of God's presence. This is what the Bible expects of us. Someday, someday our faith will be sight as we stand in the presence of Christ Jesus. Until then, let us be steadfast in our faith, not wavering in conviction and not waffling in our doctrine. Okay, 
it's not good to waffle in doctrine. Be set, be firm, be fixed in what you believe and why. Uh, think about the nature of God. It, one of the things, if you can't sleep, some people like to uh, count sheep. That never worked for me. Another thing is that if you count from 100 backwards, that kind of works sometimes, but it's boring. Uh, what puts me to sleep, and not because it's boring, but because it's so mind-taxing, is to just think about God creating the very first moment. Just, just sit there and try to think about what he was doing with no time, no space, no matter, and then he created. And I'm telling you what, I fall asleep really quickly because I, it's so mentally taxing trying to think what he did and how he did it. Now it tells us, he, you know, he spoke and it was, but think of the power, think of everything going on around this universe and how did he do it? It will wipe you out. If you just, and I'm talking about a real concerted effort, not just, you know, philosophic, but really thinking about, it. that helps me every time, okay? It's not boring at all. It's just very, very, your mind just kind of can't handle it and off to bed you go. So, Heavenly Father, how good you are to us to allow us to contemplate you. And we can do that because of what you've created. We can see the love of people reflected, uh, reflecting the love that stems from you. We can see the wisdom of the spider web. We can see the beauty of the flowers coming up out of the cracks in the stones. Lord, we can see all of these things and know that you care about your creation, that you're a God of order, harmony, understanding, and wisdom. But we also can contemplate you all the more because of Jesus. Thank you for Jesus who reveals you in a completely new and unbelievable way. Something that's so far beyond our ability to grasp that we just can't do it. But we can at least have faith that it is true. Lord, give us that faith when we're lacking it. Give us a comfort in our times of affliction. Thank you for the times that you hear our prayers and respond quickly. And we would certainly pray for Vicki, who's going through that childbirth right now. We pray that your hand would be with her and help her to deliver soon. We pray this that you'll be glorified in her, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, here we go. We'll back it up and say goodbye to folks. Let's see here. Oh, here we go. Back, 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 back. I sure hope this class works because I did not start. <laughs>